Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 331. Never take yourself too seriously. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. 2015 marks Covercraft's 50th anniversary. They've manufactured premium quality exterior and interior covers here in the United States with a reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit with over 80,000 patterns and growing. You can choose from dozens of fabric options and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicle. Made in the USA, Covercraft is the right choice. I've protected my special rides with their covers for over 40 years, and you should too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Michael Austin. Michael, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Absolutely. Cool. Great to have you here. Michael Austin is the editor-in-chief at Autoblog.com. His first automobile was a Dukes of Hazard General Lee pedal car. By the way, I had a Cadillac pedal car, but I think yours is a little cooler than mine. Mike's career in journalism started as a gopher at Automobile Magazine, followed by a brief internship at Carr in London. He was on staff during MPH Magazine's short time on the planet, and more recently, he was part of the team at Car and Driver and Popular Mechanics Magazine. Michael, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your career and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I've I've always kind of loved cars. I think when I was a kid, I, I loved Dukes of Hazard, like you know, with the pedal car, but also the show. You know, I was obsessed with Knight Rider, and I think any time I had a chance when I was real young, I was watching, uh, you know, a copy of Smokey and the Bandit. Actually, I think looking back, it was Smokey and the Bandit two in reality, <laughs> but in my head, it was it was all the same. Yeah, Smokey and the Bandit. I, I've now learned which one is vastly superior. Yeah, uh, yeah, those double, those second series movies really have to work hard to be any good. Yeah, um, so I had, I had this general interest in cars. My mom likes to tell stories about how I just take stuff apart as a kid. Uh, I didn't do a lot of work on cars. I just, I just was really into them. And then, you know, around early adolescence, like 13, 14, I got, uh, I got into the magazines. I think like a lot of us do. You, you start yeah. reading the magazines and you learn about the cars. And those are the ones that really are like the formative cars for you. So for me, it's that late 80s, early 90s sports car era that I, that I see as the golden era. I don't have as, I love muscle cars, I love old cars, but the ones that really speak to my heart are the ones that that were, were hot when I was just getting into cars. Sure, sure. Well, before we get into some of the questions I have for you, tell me a little bit about your role there at autoblog.com. Uh yeah, so I'm the I'm the editor in chief of Autoblog and it's it's basically a traditional editor in chief role. I'm I'm organizing the staff, um, you know, helping steer the ship in terms of where we want to go and what kind of stories we want to cover mm-hmm. and, you know, making sure everyone's in the right place 
doing the right job. It, fortunately, it's really easy because we have a, we have a really good team that already knows what they're doing. Nice. I, you know, if I get trapped in meetings for a whole day, I don't have to worry about anything because, like I said, we have a we have a great staff. Yeah, as it should be. Very cool. Well, I love your site. I love what you guys are doing, and we're going to learn a little bit more about you and about Autoblog as we move through our discussion here today. But I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. Some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Michael, take the wheel. I would go with, we'll try to do better next time. It's <laughs> it's the closing to pardon the interruption. Yeah. It's a show on SportsCenter. I don't even watch PTI that often, but I, I just love that as kind of a mantra because – for me, that's, that's my approach to what I, I do. It's, it's, you don't always like what you do, especially with deadlines. Yeah. And, you know, trying to get a story out. You can never completely edit a story. You can never, you know, make a perfect souffle or something. Sure. So it, it's that, it's, for me, it's that acknowledgement that there's always room for improvement, but also you don't have to take it too seriously. Sure, sure. No, I understand completely. You know, my uh, previous career, we had a, a quote that was one of those wonderful quotes from Sir Henry Rolls-Royce about striving for perfection. And I always liked that quote. However, there was a part of it I didn't like because it implied that you could not fail. And failing and being challenged and maybe knowing you could do a little better next time, I think is uh, a little bit more appropriate because it, it enables you to try things that you wouldn't normally try. And uh, and be a little better next time, <laughs> as you say. So I like that a lot. And I can see with the kind of business you're in with deadlines and so forth, things just have to get done on time or else. And you have to you have to live with it. You have to understand that you can be proud of something and still want it to be better. Or... Yes. Yeah, exactly. I know exactly what you mean. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? You talked about your mom saying that you took everything apart and you like to play with cars. You had that very cool pedal car, a lot cooler than my Cadillac, I'm afraid. <laughs> but could you tell us about that pivotal moment in your life when you really realized, you know what, I am a car guy? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not quite sure if there's one specific moment, but a few things stand out. And one of them is, uh, is actually the dentist office, which is probably where most of us started reading car magazines. And the, <laughs> the Lamborghini Diablo came out. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a road and track piece. And it was talking about how it was you know, one mile an hour faster than than a Ferrari F40 in top speed, and it was the the opening to the story is this long, you know, hypothetical piece on if you are actually racing the two cars, this would this would slowly creep ahead, assuming that the tires held up and you, know, you had enough room to go 202, <laughs> and you know that that made this more supreme in in whatever in it for what mattered then. Yeah, and and that really like stuck with me is this idea of like of I, I mean i think that lit off the idea of cars are these amazing things and they can do these amazing things you know they're constantly changing and developing and 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 new parts of it is coming out so that that's probably one that sticks with me a lot yeah cool well you know that car was so iconic and you go back to the countach before that I remember the uh, you talked about a, the movie with Smokey and the Bandit, the Gumball Rally, the beginning of that movie with that black Lamborghini being chased by the Highway Patrol uh, comes to mind with those cars. So, uh, yeah, pretty darn cool. And one of my friends, Mike, who's a local guy up north here, has a Lamborghini Countach that uh, I'll give a shout out to Mike that is so cool. I had the pleasure of following him to a uh, an event we have up here, a Cars and Coffee event, Exotics at Ribbon Town Center. And 
to sit behind that car and look at that the rear end of that thing and listen to the the V12. What fun! <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, the Lamborghinis to me are are kind of amazing because if you if you look back at the Countach and all all of the V12s, they're almost the same car. I mean, you yeah. look at the way the engine's placed and the layout of the dash. It's it's very much an evolution. I think that's great. Yeah, well, even going all the way back to the the Mira, you know, you think about that mid-engine, even though the engine was sitting sideways, the beginnings of that evolution there. So, uh, yeah, really cool cars. You know what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and, as I say, crawl under the hood and get our hands a little dirty and ask you to share with us a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced along the way in your career the best part of this discussion has to do with how did you overcome that particular situation? And of course, what did it teach you? Yeah, you know, there's been a couple, I've actually been, been really lucky. I would, I would say that first and foremost. And a couple times in my career, I've just made the decision that said like, you know, hey, I want to go for this. The, the internship at Car was, I, I was working at Automobile and I worked the connections through Jamie Kitman, actually, shout out to him. He he was a columnist at Car, mm. so I got some contacts at Car, and basically just begged them to say, "Hey, can I come be an intern?" And you know, they let me go over there for for about seven weeks, and I helped. I, I basically worked on one issue, start to finish, nice with them. Uh, but that was that was a bit of a leap, where it was like I was going to grad school for engineering. I still had an interest in engineering as a career, but it, I, I wanted to you know see if I could give the journalism a shot, see what it was like, and uh, you know, I had to borrow money from my parents to go do it because it was unpaid. I'm sure British Customs would not have approved a visa <laughs> <laughs> if they did try to pay me. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, another – and then a few years later, it was the same kind of thing. I was at a bit of a crossroads like, you know, can I make a career out of this or not? And uh, that's when MPH came along and it was it was a risk but it was a fantastic one. But it only lasted two years. And so, again, I was at this point where – I'd been doing something and it was working well and all of a sudden I was out of a job. I had a house uh, that was a little bit expensive for me. I had some other personal stuff going on in my life. And that's one where I really just made this decision that said, you know what, I, I, I love what I'm doing and I love where I am. I'm, I'm just going to try to stick it out. Yeah. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't any one specific thing where it's like I need to do this better or do that better. It was a, a combination of, of hard work and luck and also just you know, admit, but some of it, I guess, would be, I think some of the luck is you create your own luck that, you know, oh, yeah. work, working, networking, talking to people, making good connections and, and knowing when you, when you rely on those connections, you can, you can ask them politely and say, Hey, do you have something? Do you have any leads? I'm not one to hound people, which is one reason why I never made it that well any time in my career as freelance, <laughs> but, and, and that's a, that's a skill that freelancers are very good at in, in a good way. But for me, it was it was just sort of that you know stick with it. Yeah. Well, actually, one other thing I would I would say was do something that you love. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I know that's it's kind of cliche and people say it people say it all the time, but it, that was something where automotive journalism doesn't always pay very well. Mm-hmm. And it was for me this was well I, I, it's okay because I get to travel and I'm enjoying myself and I'm doing a job that I like. And in terms of of your mindset and your overall life happiness if you can if you can do something every day that you enjoy it really gives you a head start for the nights and the weekends yes you know you you shared a lot of really interesting things there one is grad school as an engineer and then leaping into journalism usually that's left brain right brain leaping 
because uh, those two don't usually go together that well. The engineering mind and the journalistic mind, that creative and and the other side, I know because I'm married to an engineer. My wife's an engineer, and, and she thinks very differently than the creative side of me, how I think. But I think you hit on a couple other key things there that I'm so happy you did. You chased what you're passionate about, and that's what Cars Jazz is all about. So thank you for sharing those personal stories. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I like to call a career aha moment, when the headlights are flipped on and they illuminated your way for this new direction you had, this new idea. And tell us, how did you turn your aha moment into a success? You know, I, I guess the one story I would go with here is I was in undergraduate and I knew I went to school in Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan and I knew that car and driver and automobile were there. And I hadn't I hadn't thought about, you know, it as a career. I just knew they had these these low level gopher jobs. They're called road warriors at car and driver. And anytime you call, they'd say, we're not hiring now, but send us your resume. We keep them on file. Mm-hmm. And and I would never do it because I was whatever slacker nature I had was like, well, who knows if that's actually going to happen? Right. I'll get around to it. I never got around to it. So I was, uh, I was doing crossword in a lecture once and they had an ad in the, a classified ad in the student paper for a gopher automobile. And that was immediately the light bulb went off was like, wait a minute. This is, this is the chance now to do this. Yes. So I immediately went home and, and I didn't even know how long the, I didn't know how long the ad had been there. So I was kind of panicked. Like, what if this is already filled? You know, why didn't I send my resume all those other times? <laughs> uh, so uh, I immediately went home, printed out my resume and I didn't have a fax machine that the ad called for a fax. So I was like, I'll just drop it off. And then this, this goes back to some of the luck there. I think what happened was someone else didn't show up to an interview because it seemed like there was some confusion because I, I went right in and, interviewed with the office manager. Oh, and they thought you were as somebody as, else. <laughs> as soon as dropping it off. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, like I said, I, I just came in and said, hey, I'm dropping off my resume for the ad. And initially they were like, oh, are you Brian? I was like, no, I'm not Brian. Well, I could be. <laughs> uh, but, but you know, that that was – it was a bit of luck, but it was also one of many lessons I think where uh, that was, you know, just just do it. Don't, don't procrastinate. You know, something else you keep mentioning is the word luck, and I like to think of luck as – that old saying that when opportunity meets preparation, and that's exactly right. You'd been preparing in your mind, and there was the opportunity, and it's like an opening on the racetrack. You saw it, and you dove in there and took it. So good for you. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and don't get me wrong. I, I still procrastinate a lot, and <laughs> uh, you know, that's kind of you to think that preparing in my mind was a preparation because oftentimes that happens with writing where you, uh, you know, you're thinking about a story for a few days, and then right. you – you finally sit down or you tell yourself you're thinking about it <laughs> and when it's finally time to sit down and write you realize you have it but sometimes sometimes that mental preparation really is part of the process oh it really is i think so i try to go for a walk every day and i can't tell you how happy i am to have a smartphone where i can record my thoughts because i think of these things on this walk and if i don't write them down by the time i get back oh what was i think that was a great idea <laughs> was it that great i forgot about it but you know your brain starts opening up and working so I think that works really well. How about proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many, but is there one in particular you could share with us? You know, honestly, right now I think is is my proudest moment. I a couple times in my career I've you know wondered, you know, how far do I want to take this? Where do I want to go? And my last job actually was was outside of journalism. It was more in in terms of uh, PR and marketing consulting. Mm-hmm. And when when the opportunity for editorial popped back up, it was. It was a difficult decision for me. I, have, I was in a job that was basically a two-man startup. There was a lot of freedom. There was a lot of flexibility. 
and you know just that startup feeling and and atmosphere I thought about it a lot and I realized, you know, I still love the writing and I still love the storytelling and I still love, you know, being around the industry and I owe it to myself to see how far I can go and, you know, where I can take it. And in, in this specific case, I, I joined as executive editor and then got promoted to editor about three weeks later. So far faster, <laughs> yeah, far faster than I planned. That's a fast track. <laughs> yeah. Right now, I think is to me the most amazing. Every day I'm excited to come into work and, uh. and just yeah. feel honored that I've have the opportunity to be the editor in chief. Fortunate guy, not a lucky guy, a fortunate guy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special vehicle, and if you could share a memory you have with that car? Yeah, I think it's. Um, I still have the car, and I've, I've had it three or four years, but it's a 1996 Buick Roadmaster wagon. Oh my goodness! Now that's unique for uh, first special car <laughs> yeah i mean i've had i've had a few cars all of them are special in their own way but the roadmaster is the one i think that it's the first car that i really purchased and held on to and, and it was something where it's like i've wanted one of these for a while i'm gonna do it i'm gonna buy it and i used it as my daily driver a lot in the last probably in the last year and it, it's just this it's this great feeling to be like i'm driving an old car that's really silly it's almost hipster it's, it's got the wood sides <laughs> Yeah. And you know people look at you strange, people don't understand it and and to just be driving the car and and say, you know, I I love this thing. It's so much fun. It does exactly what I want. Yeah. And you know, it, you go through adventures. One of the things about old cars that I love is is they kind of talk to you. You can feel them. They have a little bit of a spirit. And um in the Roadmaster the transmission was going out and I had I didn't really notice quite right that it was basically gone and this was at the detroit auto show so i was driving in for uh for monday morning at the show mm -hmm. and it started it started slipping and going out about eight miles outside of kobo center you know it wouldn't it wouldn't go more than like 35 miles an hour but i i basically coaxed it up to kobo into a parking spot enough so it made the trip there <laughs> and then i got it towed away midday but it was uh to me, that was that was one of the great stories about it. About that car was like, you know, knowing that it, it gave it gave everything it had for me. And it got you there, yeah. Yeah, I got it a I got it a rebuilt transmission. So it, there you go. Very cool. You know, as a kid, I remember my parents had one of those wagons with the wood on the side. We had a Oldsmobile, actually several of them, Oldsmobile Vista Cruisers, back in the '60s and early '70s. So yeah, fun cars. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've owned, you've let go, that you really wish was back in the garage? My history of cars is is probably a, a lot cheaper than, than maybe some of your other guests because this is another cheap wagon. But I had a I had a Subaru Legacy Brighton, and I think it was a '95, mm -hmm. and the Brighton was the the cheap cheap model. It was like two do two speakers in the front, uh, no power locks, no rear wiper. It had air conditioning, and I've actually bought it. I bought it off an auto trader ad that didn't have any photos. So I bought it sight unseen. <laughs> oh, brave guy. It worked out. It worked out fantastic. I loved the car. It was, it was reliable, it, practical, and it was just, it was just a really good car and it cost me almost nothing. And then I had a bunch of uh, tickets come through on my record and the insurance went way up. Uh -oh. So I was like, you know, this isn't worth it to spend this much on insurance for the car. I was actually, in, in my career I was just getting into press cars at the time too. So it was like, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily need this as a car. So I'm going to sell it. And I always look back that was like, you know, if I had just some kind of beater sitting in the driveway, you know, a friend in from out of town or you need to go to the hardware store or the lumber store. Yeah. 
this thing would have been perfect. The Roadmaster <laughs> serves a little bit of that purpose, and maybe I wouldn't have got the Roadmaster if I held on to the Subaru. <laughs> well, I have a lot of funny or very interesting answers to that question. The gentleman I interviewed yesterday, his was a Gullwing Mercedes that he sold for $6,000. So, you know, <laughs> you never know. That Subaru could be worth something down the road. So, <laughs> Yeah, the, uh, the buyer's remorse, I think, would be the Fiero. I had... Oh, goodness, car- yeah. I, I raced it in the 24 Hours of Lemons. So at Car and Driver, we, we did one as a story, and we, we bought a four-cylinder Fiero. Mm-hmm. And then that car was was pretty much useless. So, But thinking, well, wait, we're already in the down the Fiero hole. Let's get a V6. Fieros are interesting cars. I The charm has worn off on me. And one yeah. of the things is they have so many quirks. You have to learn so many different things about getting them to run or the things that go wrong with them, and they're kind of hard to work on. And I just, uh, the reward wasn't there for me. Yeah. And you know, I actually sold it to another Lemons team that, uh, and then the judge, Judge Phil constantly made buyer's remorse jokes to them about me, uh, <laughs> bamboozling them, but they did get a class win. They did a much better job than me. Uh, but it's this part of owning the Fiero is you're part of this club and I didn't want to be part of that club. Yeah. Yeah. Those cars just are horribly underpowered, you know, the, Kind of fun when they came out. Ooh, a little sports car, but uh, usually a big letdown when you got behind the driver's the driver's uh, steering wheel. So, oh well. How about current projects? Is there something you're working on today that really has you excited and fired up? Car project wise, yeah. I just I recently got a 1987 Alfa Romeo Spider. Cool. And uh, my oldest sister had a has a graduate, so they were. This is another thing where it was kind of you know coming full circle. Is I. That was one of the first cars that made an impression on me. I've kind of always wanted one. I asked some friends that know Alphas before I bought it, you know, should I get this? The price is good. I think I'll be money ahead after I do whatever needs work on it. And they, their first question was, have you heard of the Miata? (laughs) (laughs) But um, the car, the car is pretty good. The paint's not that great, which is fine because then I don't have to worry about it being a Concours car. Yeah. But it has, it only has 18,000 miles. So. Oh, cool. But. Being an alpha and being a bit of a car that was in the garage, I'm I'm doing just updates on it. Like the uh, it has a the transmission mount was bad, so that needs to be replaced. And the cars generally like to get new engine mounts. Um, so then while you're at it, let's replace the belts, let's replace <laughs> yes. the hose. And last night I was in my garage till midnight because, like any Italian car, I think it becomes a cascading project. But uh, to do the belts, you have to take the radiator out. Mm-hmm. So of course. It all, um, it's, it's actually less frustrating than I thought it would be because you can, there's a progression to it. Like it's, it's not like why is this hidden? It, there is a bit of why do they lay it out like this, but it's also very clear. Oh, to do this, you have to do this first and then that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to have a bottle of Chianti sitting on the workbench while you're working on those alphas. <laughs> so, but they're a lot of fun, uh, beautiful cars. So you're going to have a blast with that thing. Here's a yeah. very introspective question for you, Michael. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? This is a tough one. I, I don't really, I don't really that's, know that's too much. That's what but it I, was designed to be. <laughs> I, I've, if I had to guess, though, I'd, I'd probably say a station wagon. I, I've owned a lot. Yeah. I like the station wagon. But I think it's more that, you know, I'm probably, you know, a couple pounds overweight. I like them, I think, as myself as, as kind of athletic or sporty, but probably not as much as I really, <laughs> as I am in reality. But, uh, you know, I like, I like to be helpful. I like to be friendly. I think. I think wagons kind of give off that kind of vibe. Yeah. It's like, you know, hey, we're we're here. You know, we're maybe a little proud to be a little different, but 
it's still based on a very everyday car. Yeah. You know, it's not quite as esoteric as you think you are. Sure. Yeah. I guess a lot of, I guess a lot of this is self-deprecating, but. No, but, you, you know, know. It's like, you know, but the station wagon can lend you a hand. If you need, if you need extra room, uh, and I, you know, I like to think of myself as a helpful. All around good guy. See, that's why I like that question so much. And you answered it very honestly. So I love that even better. So Michael up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsor. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYad.com and click on the free book button on the homepage. Download your free filler-up book today at CarsYad. All right, Michael, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Yeah. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? You know, I would say it's always buy a runner. Um, <laughs> it, uh, a car and driver, you're going back to the Fiero story, but a car and driver had a bunch of different, had other projects before I worked there with like, you know, beater projects and challenges. And just in general, it's, you know, part of the office banter is, you know, talking about cheap cars for sale or what you would get for, for X amount of dollars. And you always see these ads of, you know, oh, well, this car just ran when parked or, you know, <laughs> has a starter issue. And the thing is, if a car doesn't run, you don't know what else is going to be wrong with it. Yeah. So, you know, start with the runner unless you plan on, on doing something from the ground up, which moves into the second piece of general automotive advice, which is it's much better to let pay some let someone else pay for a restoration. Yes, that is a key, key piece of advice that I've heard many times here. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success over the years? Yeah, I, you know, I honestly think it's positivity. I try to be, uh, I try to be upbeat all the time and, and look on, you know, take that bright side view, whether it's, it's with a colleague or just if, you know, if you have a string of bad luck, you, you gotta, you can't let that beat you down. Yeah. Um, and and again, like with from in the workplace, I'm totally blessed right now with with an incredibly positive staff and a group of people that get along well. But in any workplace, everybody is most of the time everybody's working towards the common goal, even if you disagree. And it's it's I think a key to making sure that 
that works and you still work within any system and get along with people is, is that, you know, maintain the positive attitude, assume best intentions. Yes. Some people might, you know, I, I come off the wrong way to some people. Sometimes I'm sure other people come off the wrong way to me. When you take that step and go, wait a minute. Okay. Is this person trying to be a jerk or, or better yet, I'm just going to assume they're not trying to be a jerk and, <laughs> Absolutely. and, uh, and we'll figure out a way to get through it. And I think that's made things easier for me because, you know, maybe there were challenges I didn't even recognize because, you know, it was just a roadblock that you kind of hop over. Sure. Yeah. The gas tank is always half full. I love it. <laughs> Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners you think they would really enjoy? I, obviously, uh, autoblog.com. We have, <laughs> yep. We've been doing a lot of, we're, Really busy here. We're flat out. Um, we have a big push for video. It's um, both like a, a corporate want, but also our want because all of the editors now have two GoPros. When they go out on a trip, they can take their own video. We bring it back. We have a full staff that edits it. Nice. Um, so that's an exciting part. I mean, we're already we're already writing a lot, and we're we're writing more than ever. And now we're adding the video component to that. Very and, cool. Yeah, I love it. That's great. Can't wait for that. How about a book? I know this is another tough one, but is there one book in particular you think the Cars Out listeners would really enjoy reading? I would recommend On Writing by Stephen King. I mean, it's a little bit, that's a little bit selfish because I deal with writing and maybe your whole audience doesn't want to know about writing. It's a little bit autobiographical. He talks about where he got to, how he got to where he is. Mm -hmm. And then he has really condensed sound writing advice. Yeah. You know, do this, don't do that. And to me, it was, it was a lot easier to read than, than any kind of manual or, you know, style guide or, or sure. essay on writing. Yeah. No, a great book resource. I love that book. We've had, uh, one other guest recommend that book. So. Oh, no. I was hoping to be original. That's okay. I've read the book. It sits on my shelf. I love it as well. And I'll remind our listeners that there's a great place here on the Cars yeah website. Guest recommended book. So Michael's book by Stephen King, along with 330 other guests who've been on the show so far, you can just go to carsyad.com and find that link or just type Michael in the search bar. His show notes page will pop up and a link to that book to a place where you can buy it at Amazon will appear. All right, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the price because today I'm writing that check, what would that one vehicle be and why? Yeah, I thought about this for a while and I was, I was kind of struggling because I was trying to think of like what are all those rare, super expensive cars out there that, that I'm going to be forgetting. But <laughs> right now I'm fairly obsessed with, with the Alpine A310. I don't quite know why other than it's a car in a – in a Japanese cartoon that I love called Neon Genesis Evangelion, which if anyone gets that reference, it's hugely nerdy, but uh, <laughs> it's it's fantastic piece. It's I will argue, and other people will argue, that it's the greatest uh, anime series of all time. But anyway, the A310's in that, and it's it just looks cool. And then you read up on it, and it's you know it looks cool in real life. It is it's more attainable, so the the check isn't as as much of a big deal oh, but, i appreciate uh, that and then it's weird <laughs> it's it's got that weird frenchness to it where it's yeah uh you know it's it's just french enough to be bad and <laughs> for some reason that's endearing to me and and actually the other the other car related to that show is is a mazda cosmo sport and that's another i i, I love it for all the same reasons i think I, if i had the blank check i'd probably go with the cosmo because that's that's definitely more rare and getting a nice clean one that's original is is probably harder to come by 
Okay. Well, geez, you were going to let me off the hook a little bit there, and then you upped the game a little bit. So I got to, <laughs> I got to get the bigger checkbook out. But hey, that's okay. <laughs> I want to get you what you really want. But that's that is original. That's the first time anyone has chosen a Cosmos here on Cars. Yeah. So there's your originality. I love that. Something different and unique, and uh, kind of out there. So great choice, Michael. Great choice. You have Thanks. taken me. You're welcome. You've taken me on a great ride today. I've really enjoyed talking with you, and I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yacht listeners and with me. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that cosmos? Never take yourself too seriously. (laughs) Great advice. That's a first, too, so I love that one. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your business? Well, definitely visit autoblog.com, and you can also um, follow me on Twitter or Instagram. I I'm sporadic on both, but uh, the Twitter is Ray Miguel, R-E-Y-M-I-G-U-E-L, and the Instagram is Ray Miguel Austin. There you go. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything that Michael's been so kind to share with us today at carsyad.com slash Michael Austin. Just put Michael in the search bar. All these links will pop up on his show notes page. And check out Autoblog. It's a great site. I love it. I think you're going to love it as well. And we can't wait to see this expansion into your video series. That's going to be really cool. Michael, thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!